today on It's Time. If we don't train our eyes to see the hand of God in our lives, we'll miss it. I hear the calling, it's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So follow along as we join Pastor Mike. Tonight, if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Acts. We'll be looking at chapter 8 tonight. Father, as we go to your word tonight, may your Holy Spirit speak to us, give us your wisdom. And so, by your Holy Spirit, may we remember these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It is by the Holy Spirit, friends, by the way, that we do understand, know God's word. Because without the Holy Spirit, who inspired the writing... They're just going to be ink on a paper. But you know what? The Word of God's alive, and so it's going to challenge our hearts, transform the way we think, challenge us. Well, chapter 8, we start off um, right after Stephen is stoned to death. And uh, we find in this that there is a fellow mentioned now who's going to become a major player in the kingdom of God, but not quite at this time. Now Saul was consenting to his death. Speaking of Stephen's death, after he stood up to the Sanhedrin, gave them a Bible study, you might say, on their blindness concerning spiritual things. How it took them two times to recognize Moses as their deliverer. How they didn't recognize Moses the first time that he came. How they didn't recognize Jesus the first time that he came. Well, now it tells us that it says, now Saul was consenting. This word is a very polite word, but it's actually much stronger than that in the original language. It it actually took great pleasure in. (laughs) This is what the actual word here reads. So Saul was taking great pleasure in his death. At this time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They remained there in Jerusalem. But everybody, uh, we know the church was growing. We find that in the first couple of chapters of Acts. Now, because of of its growth, the persecution coming, people are getting out. That was part of God's plan, friends. It was that persecution would come, and so therefore they would take the the message of the gospel in other places. Now, this word scattered is literally a farming term, and it's the same word that would be used to broadcast. Um, And that's what they used to call sowing seed, was broadcasting. That's where we get the word in the uh, radio business, but actually it came from farming and it was where you would take hands of seed and you would throw it 
that would be considered a broadcast. Well, literally, the Holy Spirit was broadcasting the followers of Christ throughout the regions of Samaria because the persecution became strong in Jerusalem. And so he tells us in verse 2, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. Some people believe this phrase, devout men, literally means probably those of the Jewish faith, maybe because they didn't agree with what the Sanhedrin did uh, concerning uh, stoning Stephen to death. And uh, they actually broke the law. Um, Of course, the Sanhedrin did because they put somebody to death without, of course, Roman counsel. And so their hatred uh, blinded them to you might say the reality of God's word. Now, something else that's important is the Bible tells us in chapter 7, they went around paying people to uh, uh, go against Stephen. They used their money in an unrighteous way. And friends, that still happens today too. So just to remember that people are still people. And these people claim to be religious people. They claim to be uh, leaders of the church, or maybe I should say of the Sanhedrin. But they still had a very dark side to them uh, in the in the midst of their piety. And so it said these devout men carried Stephen away to his burial, a great lamentation over him. According to Levitical law, it was wrong to lament for anybody that had been executed. In other words, they deserved it. And so um, by them lamenting over him shows that they were going against, you might say, the traditional Hebrew understanding of somebody dying. And so verse 3, it says, And so Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, and committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Notice it says, as for Saul, he made havoc. Um, This is a a word that uh, comes out of the Greek, uh, which, which would mean the same word as if a wild animal was to attack a carcass. It just ripping and tearing is literally the, the understanding of this word. So if we were to read it with the, uh, the modern vernacular, it would be, so Saul went and ripping and tearing of the church, literally. Now notice something else here it says, entering every house, dragging off men and women. So he did not show any kindness or mercy to even women at all. And, uh, and committing them to prison, all these different things that they were doing. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They got out. But you know what? One of the things oftentimes about persecution is it tells you that you're into something that's real. Otherwise, there wouldn't be somebody trying to stop it. Now, that doesn't mean every single person that's persecuted for something means that they're right. But when the Word of God tells us there were signs and wonders that followed those that believe, and there was a dynamic of the Holy Spirit there that allowed them to think and to see and to understand what God was saying, this created, you might say, a catalyst for the growth of the church and at the same time great persecution of the church. So, simple bottom line, if you're ever persecuted for being a Christian, praise God. Uh, that's the old saying. If you are arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, what is that simply saying? That's saying your actions speak louder than your words. And certainly as we live our lives for Christ, there's going to be those from oftentimes those that profess Christianity, those that profess uh, a, a tie to God in some way uh, are going to be some of the worst enemies of the church uh, and some of the worst enemies of Christians. 
Um, and so it's unfortunate, but it happened then. Uh, it happens now. So we just have to understand that this is part of the turf. Uh, somebody said, if you don't like the heat, get out of the kitchen. Well, we as Christians, we're in the kitchen. You're cooking up a meal for a hungry world called the Word of God. The Bible talks about this manna that comes from heaven. And this manna that come down from heaven as it is served, of course, there are people that are extremely jealous. Now, this next part of the scripture here that we begin to read, we find what jealousy will do in a person's life, what jealousy will do in a person's ministry. This is crazy, but it's true. Well, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, we remember so to Jesus. He went and met the woman at the well. And uh, this is where he said, where's your husband? She says, I have no husband. Want to go out with me? No, she he said, I have no husband. And he goes, well, as a matter of fact, that's true. You've had five husbands and the guy you're living with is not your own. And she goes, whoa, I perceive you're a prophet. And uh, so then she gets all spiritual with him and says, well, you know, some say we should worship uh, in Samaria and some say we should worship in Jerusalem. Where do you say we should worship? And you know, it's really amazing how Jesus answered that question concerning that we worship God in spirit and truth. And and one of the things that she did is she went to the city and the, the Bible says this woman said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. It says all the men came running. And that's just in itself makes a person wonder what that was all about. But anyway, they all come running to hear what Jesus had to say. Well, Samaritans were the low lives of society. Uh, about 600 years before, um, the Assyrian Empire, um, when they'd conquer an area, they would take everybody out of that area, move them far away, take all those people from somewhere else far away that they'd conquered, move them all into their homes. This, this way, disorienting the people. Uh, and so they would move people around a lot. Well, what happened is... Uh, when, when the Assyrian Empire conquered the ten northern tribes of Israel, those that were sick, those that were, um, they had nothing really to offer the Assyrian Empire. They left them behind. Well, what happened then, these foreigners moved into a lot of the homes, houses in the ten northern tribes, intermarried with them. They became half-breeds, and because they were half-breeds, they were looked not the pure lineage race of Abraham, so they were looked down upon. And because of that, people didn't want to have anything to do with them. So that's when the woman at the well said to Jesus, how be it you being a Jew, talk to me a Samaritan? <laughs> you know, we don't have dealings one with another. Well, the reason why that was is because they were half-breeds. They, you didn't do that. But here you find Philip reaching out to the Samaritans. One of the things we find is Jesus is for everybody. And so Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, friends, this is very significant as it was concerning Stephen's life is these guys that started by waiting on tables now are precision miracle workers, you might say. That's something that God did. That is not something they did in themselves. That's something God did through them and for them. And what I think is amazing here is it tells us in, and you might say what we're reading here, 
concerning chapter 7 and chapter 8, we're, we're dealing with the second generation church already, and this is early uh, part of, of Scripture. And, the, and, and really, the book of Acts speaks of the establishing of the church and how it all was to be. We have the 12 apostles, of course, uh, and now we find these appointees are having the same power and dynamics as the original 12 did, as Jesus did. <laughs> Jesus is contagious. This is good. So it wasn't just for the select 12. Because there are people today that say, well, the miracles ceased with the apostles. The reason I know this is I was raised in a church that believed this. And because that, I, as I would read the Bible on my own, and I wasn't really a Bible theologian or anything like that. I'd just read the Bible, but I came to the conclusion that as it says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what Jesus was doing back in his ministry, what the early church was doing in their ministry, what people before Acts chapter 2 in the Old Testament, like Elijah and Elisha and even Moses parting the Red Sea, all those miracles, they didn't start in Acts chapter 2. They didn't end in the last chapter of the book of Acts either. So when they say the miracle ceased with the apostles, well, we have a problem with that theology. Here's why. Because you find this second generation now of Christians, like Stephen, like Philip, having these dynamic gifts of the Spirit that were unrefutable, but yes, this is something God's doing. So it says that seeing the miracles which he did, unclean spirits crying aloud, with a loud voice as they came out of many who were possessed and many were paralyzed and lame were healed. And so you find this um, great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God doing this wonderful thing in their life. And so there was great joy in that city. Why? Because the deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind see. You see, when, when God comes in to a person's life, when God comes into a city, when God comes into a country, the whole nation, the whole city, the whole individual is elevated above what they once were. Why? Because you have a new definition reason for living. You have a new definition reason for hope. You have a new definition for going on. See, the reason why this is important, the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. And so if God does not give us fresh vision, then what happens is we end up falling back into, you might say, um, mediocrity. We, we end up falling back into just doldrum. See, the Bible says his promises are new every morning. What does that mean? Well, that means that what God did yesterday, the same God is going to do new things today for you. So look for miracles in your life. That's one of the things that I think today probably lack in Christians' lives more than any other thing. Once you're born again, once you're filled with the Spirit, is not expecting miracles from God. Look for miracles of God. You know, it's funny that what you see, you train your eyes to see. People say, oh, that's not true. Oh, yes, it is. That's why a farmer can look at a field and say, well, what you've got wrong with your field here is you've got blight or mold or whatever. I can look at a field and go, brown leaves. I don't know what's wrong with it. But somebody that's trained can look at a tree and say, oh, that has boar beetle or that has something because their eyes are trained. A body and fender man can look at a car and say, whoa, the rubber side hasn't always been down on this one. This thing's been rolling around on this roof. How can you tell? Well, Somebody that's trained can look at the gaps and the doors. They can see the way the body shapes. They can uh, 
Uh, They can see the waves in the doors that you can surf down. It's called crummy body work. But you train your eyes to see things. People that live in the jungle. They, they learn to see things that we don't. They can be walking through a trail and they'll stop you. A guide will stop you. And you say, why? What, what are you stopping for? And there's a snake in the tree. And you look, I don't see no snake in the tree. And sure enough, there it is. But their eyes are trained to see things. If we don't train our eyes to see the hand of God in our lives, we'll miss it. And you say, well, why would you have to be reminded of that? Just because the guide can see the snake in the tree, just because the body man can see a wave in the door, just because a farmer can see what's wrong with the field, doesn't mean that those things aren't there. They are there. Are we training our eyes to see the miracles of God in our life? Or in the miracles of God in the lives around us? Because I'm always encouraged when I see God do things. I go, wow, God, that's amazing that you've done that. So I really believe that when we go back to, you might say, um, a faith-based relationship with God, with God, not not just, well, I'm a Christian, heaven awaits for me someday, pie in the sky in the sweet by and by. God says, I'm doing something today. See, because a lot of people think, well, if I become a Christian, then, you know, that's kind of the the end of my life. No, it's the beginning of your life, and you're going to get to see what God does. And so, with Philip's life, the miracles that God was doing through his life, and by the way, friends, I believe that God wants to do miracles and through every one of our lives. I don't believe God has favorites. And you will be, in Jesus Christ, somebody's miracle. You will be in Jesus, somebody's miracle. You say, well, how is that? I don't know, but I know that God does that. And you say, how does God do it? I don't know, because he knows the needs in other people's lives, and so you become the one in which comes and ministers to them. The Bible says the whole city rejoiced. Why? Because God had changed the composure of the city. See, God changes the composure of you. It's contagious, and now it's going to affect others. What happened with the original 12? And then the seven men were appointed uh, to look over this menial task of taking care of these, um, you might say, Grecian Jewish women's daily needs. And now they're precision and miracle workers. How does God do that? I don't know, but he does. So be a miracle, look for miracles, and you say, wow, that's something that doesn't happen every day. Why? Because you've trained your eyes to see it. Well, he says... There was great joy in the city. But there was a certain man. You know, it's always funny in the Bible. <laughs> that makes these great statements. And, but. <laughs> this is like an exclusion, okay? You're going to find that in your life. God's going to do great things in your life. and then, But there's going to be a but. You know, it's like, there's, but there's something else going on here. Okay, let's look and see what it is. But there was a certain man. Called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was of somewhat. You see, through his magic, he could do that. Now, there's two possible thoughts here. One, his magic was just sleight of hand. And a lot of magicians have that. You know, you see these, I saw this one thing where they had this, this curtain. And uh, he says, I'm going to make a submarine appear before your very eyes. 
Henry goes, whoa, how are you going to do that? Well, he goes, we're going to have a submarine appear in 10 seconds. And so behind me, it'd just be like this right here. And a curtain goes up and you could see both sides. There was nothing behind. And they dropped the curtain and here was a submarine. And you go, how'd they do that? Well, what they didn't show you was that the submarine was just simply rolled up like cardboard. The cardboard was laying flat on the stage. And when they put the curtain up, um, the one girl that was back there, was well, she quickly rolled it up into a tube. It had Velcro or something. It snapped. She popped the two end caps on it. It looked just like, and here all of a sudden is this big thing appears. And everyone goes, whoa. It was sleight of hand. It was an illusion. It was already there. It was just rolled up. It was in a compacted form. But see, what happens a lot of times is because we go by what we see, we think what we're seeing is real. That's why Jesus said, and the Bible tells us all the way through, don't judge according to the appearance of anything, but when you judge, judge your righteous judgment. Why? Because sight can be deceptive. This is how the devil rips us off. Notice, if you go back to Genesis, remember what, what Satan said to Eve? You know, look, it's good looking. That fruit looks good. Appeals to the eye. The Bible tells us there's three areas. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things are how the devil gets his little noose around your neck. Now, here's the reason why. When we see only from, you might say, a physical standpoint, we're not seeing the whole picture. And because of that, there are opportunists that take advantage of that. This is what magicians oftentimes do, you know, where they pull a rabbit out of a hat or pull a hat out of a rabbit or whatever they're going to do. They, they do these things and you go, wow, that's really amazing. Well, people that were simple did not understand what was going on when they would see these things. Now, some people believe actually that he was a sorcerer. And beyond just that of sleight of hand, a magician, but actually his powers were tied to the occult. And because of the occult, he had, you might say, supernatural help, as the girl did in Acts chapter uh, 16, who could tell uh, fortunes by this, this evil spirit that was in her. It was called a familiar spirit. It wasn't like a shrieking demoniac spirit, like when Jesus went on the other side of the Galilee and went over by Gadara, and and, and uh, there was th- this this crazy guy that was there filled with demons, and he would break chains and all those kinds of things. And uh, uh, he would scream and cut himself. The Bible says he was, and he was filled with demons. But this talks about a, a different kind of demon, a familiar spirit that could tell fortunes. So we know that there is an unseen world. And whether Simon had these supernatural, you might say, underworld powers that were inspiring him, or it was just sleight of hand, we don't really know. But one thing we do know as we read on here, his heart wasn't right with God. So it says, the people of the town said, this man has the great power of God. Speaking of Simon, here's what happened. So he's got the whole town fooled that he is of somewhat, okay? Then Philip comes along, real Christians come along, and tear the lid off of his scam. And now all of a sudden, the real outweighs this facade that this guy was putting up. Well, 
It tells us they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. This word sorcery is the word here which which implies magic arts. But other places in the scripture, like up in Revelation, where it says they wouldn't repent of their sorceries, that word is the word pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy from, which is the where we get the word drugs from. So he may have been enchanting them with drugs. He may just have been uh, a sleight of hand. We don't know. But one thing for sure, it wasn't the real deal. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.